Please turn with me to the letter of Jude, as we will be looking at verses 8 through 10 this morning. The letter of Jude, verses 8 through 10. Hear with me the reading of God's Word. Yet, in like manner, these people, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the whole glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. In the beginning of our text this morning, Jude opens by calling these false brothers, these people who have intruded upon the church, he calls them dreamers. So it got me thinking, what does it mean to dream? We've all had dreams before. Perhaps it seems as I'm getting older I have less dreams. Maybe it's because as we age we don't sleep as good. You know, We don't sleep as hard. We don't sleep as long as we used to. Uh, but that's besides the point. What, what is it to dream? Well, usually to dream is to have some sort of visual scenario play out in your mind and through experience of my own, usually you're involved in it. So you're you know, traveling the world perhaps in your dreams or you're meeting someone famous. You're doing something fun and exciting, but as soon as you awaken, the dream is over. You're back to reality. It wasn't real. It wasn't true. And so you get up and you go about your day. Yet also, you can dream while you're awake. You have someone sitting on the couch who's kind of staring up into the clouds. They're thinking about imagining themselves, and usually this is perhaps young children and young adults, you know, what what am I going to be when I get older? Perhaps they're imagining themselves as an astronaut and they see themselves on the moon or they're a doctor and they see themselves saving lives. But whatever it is, they're, they're kind of staring off into space. They're not aware of their surroundings, what's going on around them. That's why you hear people say, hey, hey kids, stop daydreaming. You know, go get back to work. And so what happens to the person who dreams? Well, we said they're kind of not paying attention. They're in a world kind of all to themselves. They're oblivious and blind to what's going on around them. Or have you ever tried to wake someone up who's been in a deep sleep? That can be really difficult because they're sound asleep. Anything could be going on around them and they would not know. Also, a lot of times we we wish that our dreams were reality. Have any of you ever awoken from a, from a dream and tried to go back to bed to see if that dream would continue? Well, what's been said about dreams and dreamers here is what, in our, in our introduction, bears similarities to what Jude is saying about these false teachers. It's not just in the natural sense, but to their doom in the spiritual sense. See, for in their deep sleep, these dreamers are not aware of the eternal condemnation that awaits them. For as they dream, they are caught up in thoughts, and in their vain imaginations they are blind to their depravity, thinking that their dreams are reality. They are in darkness, yet they love their darkness. They don't hate their darkness, they love being in darkness. They reveled in it, 
And so they desired that others would follow with them in darkness. Which is why Jude writes, remember in verse 3, I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to contend for the faith. Because the ungodly just don't like being wicked themselves. They like to corrupt and influence others, to participate in their ungodliness, which they see as freedom and fun and gratifying. It's just like when you buy that one bag of apples. We've all bought that bag of apples. It has that moldy apple in it. Boy, do we hate that bag. Because that one bad apple, it contaminates, it corrupts, it spreads to the other apples. This is what the false teachers were trying to do. And so Jude is warning them of their faith and their practice. As their practice, as their behavior, is a product of what they believe or what they don't believe. They were those who did not believe in the law. They thought, hey, we have grace, so we don't need to follow the law, which is why they could use their bodies however they wished. They defile their bodies, as Jude said, like the Sodomites. If there is no law, then there is no sin. For sin is a transgression of the law. And so if sin no longer exists, we can pollute ourselves. We can do whatever it is we want. Yet we know that their desire to extinguish the law of God came out of their impure hearts. It came out of their impure hearts. This is what the Savior taught in Matthew 15. In His parable, remember He says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then the disciples said, Well, Jesus, explain this to us, please. So in verse 17 He says, Do you not see that whatever goes out of the mouth Pass goes, whatever goes in the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. See, in their heart they hate truth, they hate righteousness, they despise those who would uphold God's righteous standard. Christians today, we're often targets, right? We're often called bigots or that we promote hate speech. But what do you expect from a perverse world who wants to do everything they can to not see their sinfulness? And they do this by trying to silence the voice of the saints. They want no reminder of their sin. They don't want a reminder of hell. That's why today we see the notion of hell being thrown to the side as well. They say, oh, we'll take your heaven... But your hell we do not want. We will live like devils and expect to go to heaven. They are fooled though. They're deceived. They're slumbering dreamers who like the foolish virgins in the parable of the ten virgins slept. And we're not ready. We're not prepared for when the bridegroom returned. And so as we approach our text this morning, we're going to look at it under three headings. The first heading that we're going to look at is the sinfulness of the ungodly the sinfulness of the ungodly. The second is Satan the attacker. And the third is our surety, Christ. So the sinfulness of, un- of ungodly man, Satan the attacker, our surety, Christ. Now since the fall, it is true that the heart of man has only been evil continually. This is what Paul echoes and reaffirms in Romans 3. Remember he says, None are righteous, 
None do good. None follow after God. None seek after Him. He even says that there isn't even fear of God before their eyes. And not having fear can aid men in doing a lot of dumb things. There used to be, and perhaps there still is, this company called No Fear. I don't know if anyone remembers that company, No Fear. I remember as a, as a kid driving my parents in the car and there'd be like stickers on the back of people's cars and No Fear. And uh, they, I looked them up. They were a clothing company. That's what they were, a clothing company. And they uh, were kind of in the vein of like motocross and surfing, kind of outdoorsy, dangerous stuff. And so I guess if, if you planned on flipping in your bike you know, in a circle 20 feet in the air, it's probably good to have no fear doing it. Or if you're going to go surfing in waves where a shark attack just occurred the week prior, it probably aids you in, in surfing well by not having fear. But also, I've heard stories about these people who perform these stunts and then they die. And so, today in our society, it's a praiseworthy thing to have no fear. But should it be that way? For the ungodly men who crept into these churches are like these sportsmen who we just described. They had no fear. They were in the churches, they were teaching in the churches, yet had no fear of the Lord. They had zero reverence or respect for Him. No sense of awe. They certainly did not value the words of the Lord or His messengers. The warnings given did not strike fear in their hearts. And the reason was for this was found in the fact that they were dreamers. Remember what we said of dreamers. They're blind to what goes on around them. They're not cognizant of their surroundings. They're not aware that they are in danger. And so these dreamers that Jude describes are those who are spiritually blind. They've been lulled to sleep by the devil who wants to keep them there. Yet in their blindness, they cannot understand the things of God for the things of God are spiritually discerned. Remember, it's the Spirit of God who proceeds forth from the Father who can understand then the thoughts of the Father. And so it is the Spirit of God then in us who allows us to understand and comprehend the things of God. And so all that the prophets and all that the apostles have said to the ungodly is foolishness. How often is it that we hear people mock God's Word? Those are just fables. Those are just tall tales. Really, God, he, He parted the Red Sea? A serpent in the garden really spoke? Jesus really walked on water? You guys believe that? What foolish Christians? One God and three persons? How does that work? If God is one, how can Jesus and the Holy Spirit then make up that one God? But you see, this is because they're natural man. They cannot understand spiritual things. Their minds cannot ascend to the heavenly realms. Their minds cannot be lifted to the things of God. And so instead of worshiping the true God revealed to us in the person of Christ, They still innately know that a God exists. And so rather, instead of worshiping the true God, they create for themselves their own God, a God which is fashioned after what they want and what they desire. And so they create a God who wants to make them happy. A God who would never punish you. A God who's just all loving. He loves you. He would never execute justice upon you. And so they have believed a lie and they hold on to this lie, both hands fully fixed on it, so that in believing this lie, they can live out in whatever manner they see fit. 
not worrying about the judgment that waits upon them. They say, this is my body, I can do with it whatever I please. What? Deny myself? Why would I do that? God wants me to indulge myself. This is one of the sins that Jude highlights that was prevalent amongst these intruders. They defiled the flesh. They were sexually promiscuous. Now, I was looking at a statistic this week. It was uh, in the 1950s, the average age of marriage for man and woman in the 50s was 20 years old. 20 years old. Now, this statistic that I looked at, it ran to 2017. So, in 2017, how old do you think people now are when they get married? For a woman, it was almost 28 years old. And for a man, it was almost 30 years old. And the one reason they gave for why marriage now is taking place far later in life, as opposed to in the 50s at the age of 20, was the increased acceptance of what's called playing the field. Before people would uh, want to get married before they had uh, relations with a woman or before they had children. Now it's about uh, uh, it's now about new experiences. It's about experimenting. And so there's nothing wrong if people don't want to get married uh, at like the same age people did in the 50s. Right? But it, it, there is something wrong with it though if the reason they don't want to get married at the age of 20 like people in the 50s is so that they can be sexually promiscuous. That they can turn aside from God's ordinance of marriage. What does Paul say? He says, because of sexual temptation, because of the temptation to, to, to be with multiple people, because of sexual immorality, I charge that a man be married to one wife and that a wife find herself one husband. But instead, Jude says that these false converts in verse 10 are like brute, brute beasts. They're like brute beasts. They're like animals. How are they like animals? Well, Paul tells us, in Romans 1.26, for their women exchange natural relations for the, that contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed for passion for one another. Men con- con- committing shameful acts with men. See, these people Jude writes about, they didn't use reason. They didn't live by reason. They, li- they, they lived by appetite, by desire. This is what Jude is saying here when he, call, when he calls them brute beasts. They were controlled by desire, wanting whatever it is that they found pleasurable. You think about an animal. An animal doesn't think right or wrong. An animal is controlled by instincts. It sees something it wants. It takes it. It's no different than what these intruders were doing in the church that Jude writes to. He says that they were seeing whatever they wanted and instinctively just going after it. They were not using and living by reason. They were living by appetite. Yet the sinfulness of man, of ungodly man, also manifests itself in the rejection of authority and the blaspheming of God's glorious ones, he says in verse 8. Likewise, he says in verse 10 that these people who are blaspheming, the glorious ones, blaspheme that which they do not understand. As the dreamers were deceived by the dreams, they were deceived by their own thoughts. And so... As we have already seen Paul said, those who have not the Spirit cannot discern spiritual things. And so they detest those things which they do not understand. 
Yet we know that all who do such follow after their father, the devil. And so please turn with me to John chapter 8. And we will see what John says about those who follow after their father, the devil. John chapter 8, begin at verse 39. But just prior to this, remember Jesus says, You seek to kill me because you're doing the will of your father. And then in verse 39 of chapter 8, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God. And I am here. I have came not on my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar, the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason that you do not hear them is that you are not of God. You see, their will, the will of the children of the devil is to do that that their father, the devil, desires. And so just as Satan rejected authority, as we've seen last week, rebelling against the commands of God, being cast down from heaven, these Pharisees rejected the authority of Christ likewise. For Christ came and taught what was revealed to Him by the Father. But rather the Pharisees thought they had the authority, that they were the only ones who could understand and, and interpret God's Word. But this comes forth from that sin of pride, the sin of their father who executed this pride both in the heavenly realms and in the garden. And so because of their hardness of hearts, they could not understand God's Word for God's Word is true. Yet they do not have truth in them, John said, of Christ. For truth is Christ. And what did they do to the truth? They killed Him. They killed the truth. That is how much this world hates God's truth. And so these false teachers that Jude writes about are doing the very same things that Satan their father did. They're doing the very same things the Jews did who killed Christ. They are running with the lie and because it is a lie and not truth, the lie can change. Truth doesn't change. We know God's Word doesn't change. This is why the saints, no matter what period of time we live in, can contend for that one truth which all true Christians hold and affirm. But when you exchange the truth from a lie, lies can change, but it remains the same. It's still a lie. See, the Pharisees placed this yoke around the neck of the people, adding to the commands of God, being legalistic. Yet these false teachers in the churches Jude writes to, they take this lie and they go all the way to the other side 
and become antinomians. No law at all. The Pharisees overcomplicated and added to the law, and these false teachers did away with the law. Yet what they both did is they both rejected authority. The authority of God. The authority of the person of Christ. And the authority of the officers of the church, which God has appointed. And so not only do they reject authority, though, it says they blaspheme. Today, ministers are laughed at. They're mocked. They're called names. Yet ministers, and not only ministers, but each and every Christian alike, we should wear that as a badge of honor. We should be proud when people mock us for the sake of Christ. For they called Christ a drunkard. They said His glorious works were the works of the prince of demons. What did they say about Peter and and John in uh, the Acts of the Apostles? They were arrested for proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. And as they were sent away, they were charged, no longer preach the resurrection. But they went away joyous and happy that they could have been despised for the sake of Christ. Christ Himself on the Sermon on the Mount says this to believers, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And in like manner, Judas telling the saints, that these false teachers blaspheme God's messengers, even blaspheme the name of Christ. But even though they blaspheme the name of Christ, you know what your response is to be? It's not to return evil for evil. But with boldness, contend for the faith, just as the archangel Michael did here in verse 9. For he told Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Which leads us then to our second point of the morning, which is, Satan, our attacker. Look real quick at verse 9 of Jude here. And Jude tells us, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuked you. Now you might say to yourself, Where in the Scriptures is this? I've read from Genesis to Revelation, and I, I don't recall this, this passage at all. I don't recall this contention over Moses' body. I remember in Deuteronomy saying that Moses was buried and that no one knows uh, his burial site. But where does it say that Michael and Satan contended over the body of, uh, of Moses? Well, it's found actually in a, an apocryphal book called The Testament of Moses which many of the early church fathers affirmed as being in existence, which describes this contention that Satan has with Michael over the body of Moses. Now, our first reaction might be to reject anything that does not come from the Word of God. But remember, even Luke, a historian, says in the beginning, he went around collecting information from eyewitnesses, and this is how he composed his gospel. And so just because this apocryphal book is not authoritative, it's not divinely inspired, it doesn't mean that it cannot bear some truth. And so Jude takes this true portion, which he must have done by the will of God, and expounds upon the death and burial of Moses for an example to us of how Satan attacks the godly and how we are to respond, as the archangel Michael did. And so we are to receive it as such. 
And so now looking then at what Jude says in light of what he's been saying about the sinfulness of ungodly man, it is clear that Satan attacks man every chance he gets, desiring to keep us in natural knowledge and in our fallen state. Moses being such a great figure to the Jews would have easily then been made an idol of. If the Jews knew where he was, perhaps they would make that pilgrimage every year to his burial site. Perhaps it would be a place of worship for them. And this is what Satan wants. He wants people to worship the creature rather than the Creator. And so his goal was to make the whereabouts of Moses' burial site known, even though we know that the Lord sought to keep it private. You see, he attacks. He's an adversary. We're told he prowls around like a roaring lion. A roaring lion, when he sees something he wants, he goes after it. He devours it. Nothing in his grasp will be freed. Likewise, this is Satan's wishes. He wishes to attack all people and to turn as many people as he can away from the kingdom of God. Here he sought to do this through the worship of another. Through the false teachers, Satan sought to turn the saints away through the worship of their own bodies, through the worship of their flesh. He wanted them to be blind, to remain in darkness, to be shackled by their sin to obey His commands and not God's. Even today we see evidence of the perversion of worship all throughout society and has been so for all time. Remember during the the Reformation, this was a major point of contention, the reform of worship. They seen that God's worship was was reverting to the Old Covenant with all these ceremonies and rituals. Even today, what, what has happened to worship? It has been replaced by health, wealth, and prosperity. Ecstatic visions, uh, babbling, unintelligible speech has replaced the worship of God. Music concerts now have replaced pure worship of God. And Satan loves this, for it seems then that his tactics are working. Right? People are worshiping anything and everything but God. This is why we as a church must take care to preserve the pure worship of the early church. To worship God in spirit and in truth. To do only what has been commanded by God, not what our minds can conceive. Yet even though Satan has sought to make the body of Moses known to turn people away from the worship of God and place it in another, the archangel Michael does not return a blasphemous judgment to Satan. This blasphemous judgment meaning meaning a a railing accusation or slander. Michael would not slander Satan. How often do we hear of false teachers? And how quick is it that we want to be to slander them, to speak ill of them? But what did Christ do when He was reviled? He did not revile in return. And we should learn here that it is the Lord who will judge unrighteousness. It is not for us to condemn to judgment, for this is Christ. Vengeance is His, He says. Our job is with meekness and gentleness to point people towards Christ, to contend for the faith, to proclaim the gospel, but not to sentence people. Not to speak evil of another, even when we find it easy to do so. For Michael says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Michael delivers Satan up to the Lord because he knows that it is the Lord who restrains Satan. It is the Lord who has authority over Satan. Yet to understand this text better, let us turn to the book of Zechariah. 
look at chapter 3 to see what it is that Michael here is alluding to when he says, Lord, rebuke you. So Zechariah is the second to last book of the Old Testament. Right before Malachi. Zechariah chapter 3. And we're going to look at just verses 1 through 5. Chapter 3 of Zechariah verses 1 through 5. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. You see here in Zechariah's vision, Joshua standing here before the Lord and Satan likewise is there to bring a charge, to bring an accusation against Joshua. Here we have a picture of that heavenly courtroom scene. Satan the prosecutor. Joshua clothed in filthy garments befitting of a sinner. And Satan stands before the Lord and says, Look! Filthy sinner! He is guilty! He deserves eternal condemnation! Yet what was the Lord's response? It was the Lord rebuke you. The same words which Michael used to rebuke Satan over the contention of the body of Moses. You see thus far we have seen the sinfulness of ungodly man which manifests itself in defiling the flesh and blaspheming the glorious ones. We have seen that Satan the attacker likes to keep it that way, keeping people blind, turning them away from anything but the worship of the one true God seeking the condemnation of all people. But this takes us then to our third point of the morning, which we see for the sake of the elect, Christ will have none of it. Which is why our third heading this morning is our surety Christ. For the Lord in the heavenly courtroom says to those standing there, remove Joshua's filthy garments from him. And to Joshua he says, behold, I have taken away iniquity from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. What a glorious statement. Glorious statement. For although Satan stood as accuser against us, Christ stands as deliverer and defender of the saints. As Christ our high priest lives to make intercession on our behalf, He is our protection. Our protection is found in our Savior. He will not allow Satan to prevail against us. Although apart from Christ, we are those who are filthy. We are those who would stand before God condemned of our sin. Yet now we are the new creation. No longer wearing filthy garments, but we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. We are those who, like Joshua on the last day, will stand before the Lord and we will be vindicated. We will be vindicated like Joshua. For Christ in His high priestly office acts both as our sacrifice as well as our intercessor. 
Remember, this was the duty of the priests in the Old Covenant. Each year they would uh, kill a bull and goat and they would, as a sacrifice, and they, as intercession, they would burn incense which would ascend up to the Lord. Yet this had to continually be done year after year for it did not take away the sins of the people. Yet these priests were only a type of the anti-type, which is Christ. As the author of Hebrews says in chapter 9, verse 11, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and the more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of His creation, He entered once and for all the holy places, not by means of the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. You see, Christ acted in our place, doing what we could not. And now having accomplished redemption, He sits at the right hand of the Father, offering, us, uh, uh, offering up his, Himself as a sacrifice as our High Priest. And even now, as our High Priest, He intercedes for us in the presence of the God. Christ is our advocate before the Father. He stands for us before God. And He will do so until we are made partakers of that salvation on the last day. For He intercedes for us that there be no more remembrance of sin. For remember, as long as we live on this earth, we are still sinning against God. And so, that God's wrath would not continually be burned for us each and every day, daily, Christ stands before the Father and displays to Him His atoning work on our behalf. Delivering upon His promises. For in the New Covenant, what does it say? He will cleanse us of all iniquity and remember our sins no more. And this is what He has done. He has remembered our sins no more as the Father has sent the Son to reconcile us once more, which has been done in the blood of Christ. No more is that sin debt hang over us. And so although we were no different than these false teachers in whom Jude writes to, as we see, we've all sinned against God and we are all dead in our trespasses and sin, God has made us alive together with Christ. And although we daily still deal with the attacks of Satan, He will not prevail, for Christ will vindicate us on that last day. And so until that last day comes, though, you must be diligent to confirm your calling and election, which means that we are to be those who make a practice of righteousness by the aid of the Spirit. We are to to grow in faith through the renewing of our minds, that means we are to be growing in our spiritual understanding and knowledge, which is going to draw us closer in our relationship with God. We are to seek out the love of Christ, seek out the peace of Christ. Stop focusing on eternal or uh, earthly things, temporal things. Focus yourselves upon eternal things. Don't be partakers of evil doing. Rather, imitate Christ in all His ways. Make sure that we keep our bodies and our minds undefiled and unpolluted for this is the purpose which God has created us anew once again. Be watchful for the return of Christ. Never slumbering like the dreamers, like these false teachers. Rather acknowledge Him in all your ways and we all as His, as his children have the promise that He will make straight our paths. For we are told Christ is able to save to the uttermost all who draw near to God through Christ. So please bow your heads and pray with me.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you this day for your word which is true. It does not change for you, Lord, do not change. And Father, we thank you that you have given us this sound teaching to stand upon. That although the lies from Satan can change with the different times and ages in which we live in, your truth remains firm. It is fixed, for it is fixed in you, O Lord. Father, we pray that what we have learned today you apply to our hearts and to our minds. Father, that we would not be those who defile body and flesh, that we would not be those who reject authority, the authority you have placed over us, that we would not blaspheme the glorious ones, that we would not even blaspheme the ungodly, but rather we would hand them over to to the Lord, that we would say, the Lord rebuke you, for it is the Lord who is sovereign over this world. It is the Lord who has authority over all. And so, Father, yet we thank you that you have given us your Son, that he is our high priest, that he lives to make intercession on our behalf, that he offered himself up as a sacrifice for our sins. And so, Father, we come before you with great thanksgiving and praise, knowing, being assured that on that last day, although Satan may lay accusation against us, Christ will vindicate us. And Father, we thank you for this great and wonderful blessing, this assurance that you have given us in our present life. And so, Father, we pray all this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.